0: Hey, it's a Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories retold episode. What's that mean, Brian? Well, that means we go back to the archives. We pull out the master tape, the master recording from an old episode, put it back up at the top of the feed just because it's topical. And so since we're headed into spooky season, uh, you know, we've got Halloween just a few days away. I thought for your weekend listening enjoyment, we would pull up last year's Spookiest episode, maybe. I don't know. It wasn't really crowd voted or anything that way, but but it, it was a little, it was a little, a little creepy. We talked about the band Ghost, and we talked about the band As I Lay Dying. Uh, we'll get into this, but it's a fun uh, comparison or contrast, really, because you have one band who sounds scary, but in real life really isn't, and another who says they're Christians and then do some scary stuff uh, that is a little freaky. So. Have fun with this. If you haven't heard it before, enjoy. If you have heard it before, it might be worth a revisit. Uh, tell a friend about it. And thank you for supporting the show. And if you do find yourself with a little bit of extra candy in your candy basket on Halloween, I'm talking about money. Uh, feel free to uh, throw us a bone at Patreon, patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories that gets you bonus content. And so we do some extra full episodes. We've had people asking about our eighties dance party. Yeah, you can get that if you're on Patreon, Uh, you can also grab uh, some outtakes. We'll do that. We found some old audio from, I think, I don't think it ever made an episode on the cutting room floor from back in 2020. uh, And we threw that up here recently. So just lots of extra uh, Murdoch and Brian stuff, and uh, of course you get a weekly newsletter in your inbox where we share with you some rock and roll headlines some what we're listening to all that sort of stuff. And it's all at Patreon, patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. Thank you for everybody already supporting. Thank you. If you think you want to do it and you want to, you want to put a little candy in our candy basket on Halloween. See, I'm, I'm just, I'm listen, the marketing never dies. I'm always thinking, always thinking about how do I say this in a way that's topical and seasonal? I think I nailed it. I'm proud of this. Okay. I do know what we nailed. We nailed this story. It's Ghost, and As I Lay Dying, it's a little freaky. Happy Halloween. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, save me save me like the mini Twix bars. Do you mind? Okay. Awesome. Thanks. We're in the spookiest of seasons, and I was as I was looking over requests for episodes of this show and a long list of open projects, I did see a couple of stories that seemed to lend themselves towards the terrifying. But what I think is interesting here is that they are terrifying in two different ways. One is the story of a band pretending to be scary. And the other is the story of a band claiming to be the opposite, but actually living out something totally different. And so, as I was preparing this, I called one of our producers, Troy, uh, and I I explained to him a couple of the, the stories here. And he pushed me really hard on looking at these stories through the lens of authenticity. His feeling is that both of these stories at their core are about theatrics. I am so excited that Troy has touched this episode. He has signed off on it. And uh, okay. I, I think the cynical question that he's getting at here um, is at what point does a band, an artist, a creator, anyone, uh, when, when do they create, perpetuate, or elevate a perception strictly for financial gain? And when is that okay or when is it not Okay. Right. So, yeah. Damn. Those are a lot of heady questions for an episode about a cheeseburger. Uh, Carter writes the show guys. Am I crazy? Or was there a whole thing a few years back where some restaurant got boycotted for selling a burger based on the rock band ghost? (laughs) Wow. I've never, I've never heard of this actual thing happening. Okay. So first things first, how do you feel about cheeseburgers? Out of love with them now, but man, I've always loved a cheeseburger. Out of love with them? How do you fall out of love with a cheeseburger? This this sounds like something you need uh, marriage counseling for. I went for probably almost forty years. You know what? I, not as a
1: kid, but whatever. Let's say from like being eighteen till I was forty, I had high cholesterol. And you didn't eat from, cheeseburgers? No, I ate cheeseburgers. Oh. <laughs> I ate like oh, man, I just ate red meat.
0: I ate red meat. ate cheeseburgers. Well, that's an important meat meat. This leads Please? to my second question, which is bacon. Are you a bacon on the cheeseburger guy? Yeah, I do like the bacon on the yeah, cheeseburger. Yeah, of course. Of course. For sure. What what else is on the ideal cheeseburger for you? If you're not thinking for, about your cholesterol, what do you put on it? For me, it's Mushroom Swiss. That's uh, what the burger I like. I'm a blue cheese and maybe a hot sauce guy.
1: Oh, yeah. what is it blue cheese with hot sauce? Both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you had that? That's pretty good. No. Oh, yeah, I yeah, have yeah.
0: not. I so so where do where do I go and get this? Or do I just have oh, to make man. it in my house? Uh, you can't, you know. Freddy's has it. have You ever eaten at Freddy's?
1: No, nah, I never I, hear it at Freddy's.
0: Yeah, try the they, try. I think they call it like the um, I don't know, Red Hot and Blue Burger or something. But yeah, it's no. Now, hey, listen, no, no free ads. <laughs> I'll, right. I'll bleep out the word Freddy's. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're we're not here to talk about Freddy's, and uh, we're not really here to talk about auditory food porn. Uh, second thing, second. Do you have an opinion on the rock band Ghost? Me, I, I really
1: don't. I mean, I, I've, where I've been sucked back into it is where people have sent me clips of them playing covers. Yeah. 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 And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, That's, I because, sort
0: of got into it that way too.
1: Because I'm, I'm out of the demo completely, but they are Swedish.
0: Well, and I, I remember when I was still in radio, they had gotten big enough to play at the historic theater in town, right? It's about 3000 seats. And so I was seeing listings for this band I'd never heard of and, when you're selling those sorts of numbers in a mid-sized city, something's going on, right? And so when we, when we worked together, remember, we had access to box seats at that theater that we threw work. And yeah. I, I, a lot of times, had to control the flow of those tickets in and out of the building. And I remember there was one particular coworker of ours, and I don't know if you remember who. It was, he was an engineer. And he would never ask for anything unless Ghost was in town and maybe a beer yes. festival. He would go to beer festivals and ghost concerts. You are so right. You remember and, that? You know who I'm talking about. And as soon as Ghost I, would announce, he would he would be in my office door. And be like, yo, man, can I get those ghost tickets? Yeah. And now I'm back at work. He doesn't even know
1: that I work on... I'm back at work, and we work on the same street. And I saw a picture of him at the Louder Than Life Festival with a Slayer shirt on, and I was like, I can't wait to hug that person <laughs> in
0: real life. Like, that's a pandemic person I want to... <laughs> Uh, so that oh, guy yeah. was my only frame of reference for Ghost. Uh, I knew they were "quote unquote" metal. I knew there was tons of makeup and theatrics, but that was it. I, I forgot that's our that's our total connection to
1: it is that our our friend was wanting tickets to go see them and is like, yeah. oh, it's that band,
0: a metal band, right? And, and so we didn't even know. They're I assumed clueless. I assumed because of that that they were really heavy. Like, what did you think they
1: sounded like? I thought they were really heavy, too, but, yeah, totally not. But, right? oh, my
0: God, listen. I, I mean, this is, like, Death Cab for Cutie with a little more emphasis on the death. Like, it, <laughs> it's yeah. straight down the middle, arena rock. Yeah, it doesn't really work for me. Well, but. it's crazy. If you if you know nothing about these guys, what I suggest is going to YouTube, looking them up, and looking for the live, uh, like, professionally shot video. Because it's pretty striking when it's shot correctly. It's very theatrical. They're all in makeup and they're dressed up. But I go, I was blown away because when the hook of this song hits, do you know the lyrics to this song? Nah. Okay, listen... Song. Listen to the hook of this song. i If
1: you choose to with me, I will you
0: I can't not laugh, dude. He literally sings if you choose to run away with me, I will tickle you internally. He, he did say
1: that and i had not i was making sure that's really what my that, first that was. oh
0: my god dude my first exposure to that song i'm watching a video and i'm like sort of digging on the riff it's like melodic and pretty and it's a concert video which i'm sure you can find on youtube and everyone is like in face paint like in the audience and they're they, they look a lot yeah. like our friend who likes ghosts and they're all screaming the lyrics and then they're like singing that lyric and chanting it together and i was like That's not what he said. And I literally Googled the lyrics to see if that's what he said. That's what he said.
1: And I was going to – hey, listen. We've left out something important, too. Like the thing is is that if you don't know who Ghost is and you haven't figured that out yet, like what do they look like?
0: Oh, okay. yeah. Let's talk about that. So this is not the sort of metal that Sweden is typically associated with, right? I think we can establish that. Usually when you hear someone mention a Swedish metal band, which you technically could call them, I guess – the fucking helicopters. That's, they, well, that's the answer. They're talking about a specific genre. And a lot of times they're talking about Swedish death metal, which yeah, let's just totally do it. Let's do a quick primer. Right. Comes out of 80s hardcore punk starts to emerge in the early 90s. There's two scenes in two different cities. And these bands have amazing names that sound like they could and probably are also the names of monster trucks. They're like carnage, morbid <laughs> Dismember. Saturday, Saturday, come see Carnage. Take on Morbid. Uh, there's- Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Murdoch, Murdoch, Murdoch. There's also a, a specific guitar sound with this. I didn't really realize this. But it's not just that it's fast or loud, but the specific way they tune the guitars and the type of distortion pedals they use are all part of this, right? And it's originated by this dude who's in this band called Nihilist. And it gets adapted over the years and stuff, right? But like... That's not what Ghost is doing. I just wanted to differentiate that if you hear someone say Swedish metal, they're probably not typically talking about Ghost. If you look up the way Ghost is categorized, you're going to see that they really just confound people. Like they don't know how to categorize them. You'll you'll see references like Doom Metal, which is like puts them in the same category as Black Sabbath, which is sort of weird. Um, But you're probably going to hear references to like progressive and psychedelic rock because honestly, that's more what it is.
1: Uh, yeah yeah and, and and that's really in the in the bigger arc of all of this genre which you have like this sort of like now like i would call it to be professional cannabis rock <laughs> it's like a it's like a mixture of all of these things whether it's psychedelia uh, or like yeah, or like yeah. doomy things yeah and that's and that's sort of become that like you know and and a lot of that's there's there's music from scandinavia that does a lot of that
0: well sure it, i think you really just call it hard rock right like that's really what it is but because despite all the theatrics which we need to talk about because you mentioned that what they look like this is really where the roots are one thing that i found so interesting when i was researching this band murdoch is the startling similarities that you have with the guy who started this band so first he's swedish you're not swedish but you love the swedes that's an open yeah. secret yeah yeah. Um, you celebrated uh, 13 years with a certain Swede here recently. Congratulations. Um, Thanks. Uh, the guy who starts this band is incredibly influenced by his older sibling who is 13 years his senior and who gives him tons of music. Does that sound yeah. familiar to you? Yeah. That's that's my big sister. Right. And so not only that, I found an interview where this guy will admit that two of the records that really changed his life out of that record collection, Kiss, Love Gun, and Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. <laughs> oh, my God. It's amazing.
1: The records that my sister left, completely different ones, and but those are like my favorite, but records. those are
0: the ones you found. And he says he says something I've heard you say before. He says the crazy thing was Motley Crue, shout out the devil, is the record that not only thrilled him, but scared the shit out of him.
1: Yeah, I I bought that cassette, but Kiss Alive was there waiting. That was left for me. Um or Alive Two. I can't actually remember which one was first. It was it mighty. I think it was a lot, but but yeah. Uh, Shout at the devil was all these. When I think about it now, it was all these kids from school whose parents took their ten-year-old kids to see Motley Crue open up for Ozzy at the municipal auditorium, and
0: <laughs> nothing better to had, do on a Tuesday. <laughs>
1: and because I remember somebody had an autograph shout at the devil cassette and I was, I was, and I was stunned. (laughs) I was, I was in fourth grade. Like that's, um, it was. And so I all wanted to know they looked that cover with the four of them was the, that was amazing cover for them.
0: But, but here's what I want to know. All image, all image, all image. So for you, it made you interested in rock and roll, right? But did it make you want to write songs about Satan yourself? No, nah, nah, I've never. Nah, not Satan. So, so he claims the guy who starts this band claims that he had a terrible stepmother who was very religious. He had a teacher he didn't like who was uh, very religious and forced religious uh, religion on him in the classroom. And so these things fuel his fire against Christianity. And when he sees this record, it makes him want to uh, as as shout, shout at the devil. Literally shout at the devil. He says in interviews, "quote cause him to put his hands into the hands of Satan." Now. I can't judge how genuine any of that is. But what I do know is that he's done a good job of creating a particular form of shock rock. We've talked about shock rock on the show before. Uh, This is a little different. But if you want to go back and check it out, there's a great episode from earlier this year about uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, We also talk a little bit about Marilyn Manson and Alice Cooper in in an episode preceding that. So uh, those those are fun addendums if you enjoy this episode. But regardless of what you think about this band, they are a fascinating case in rock and roll theatrics and and how to build a career in rock and roll theatrics. Now, I I know I still haven't talked about the way they look, but we're going to get there because we have to talk about another aspect of them, which is they've been around for like 16 years, and in the first seven of those years, they were completely anonymous. Yeah, (laughs) The average person did not know who was in this band, and this was purposeful. They obfuscated their identities. And when I say purposely, I found an article, it's in the show notes, of course, written by someone whose old band toured with them. And if you went on tour with them, you signed a non-disclosure agreement. Wow, it's a nut. You couldn't take pictures of them outside their costumes. They structure this whole band around a leader figure that they make. And that leader figure changes with every record. And everybody else in the band is just referred to as a nameless ghoul. And they all dress the same and look the same. I mean, it is theatrics to the nines. And this fan base grows up around this. And they're not just rabid. They're weirdly respectful. Of the whole endeavor, the guy who went on tour with him that I mentioned, he will explain that he watched fans wait at their bus every night and greet the band members outside of the venue. The band members come out without the makeup on, and these fans, he said, I never saw a single fan in 22 countries or whatever, or 22 dates or whatever, ever flash a single picture ever. Nobody even tried in the age of cell phones. It's an interesting thing to consider. Because this was in the internet age. This wasn't that long ago. And it feels impossible these yeah. days to maintain secrecy about anything. And you know,
1: before, until you got to like, and they have a different leader for every record. Up until then, when you're like, they're anonymous, you didn't know who they were and you couldn't take your pic, their pictures. Is like, that's Kiss.
0: Yeah. And they, they really they really were able to do that. They really for did. A while. They reinvented the kiss thing. Now, all of this officially gets blown apart in 2017 because some of these nameless ghouls end up suing the main guy. <laughs> and so even though a lot of fans who been going to these oh, shows and stuff, what a drag. Yeah, they there had been speculation about who this guy was behind the band, right? It, but it had never been officially acknowledged until this legal document comes out, and that document will confirm that the leader of this band is a dude named Tobias Forge. I keep saying fascinating, but Tobias Forge is a fascinating person. In 2006, he is almost 30 years old. He's married, he has twin daughters and he has a job at a call center in Sweden. He has been in five different bands, all with varying levels of success, but none of them enough momentum to let him leave the damn call center. At this time, he is writing songs on his own like at night and on the weekends, and he comes up with this particular song he really likes called "Stand By Him." And yes, him in that sentence and in that song is Satan. Now he shows this song to a buddy of his, and that buddy encourages him and says, "Hey, let me help. We'll record this." And Tobias tells him, "Listen, I, I I need like two more songs, and then maybe we'll make a demo, right? Like, let's see if I can do this two more times." And he does. He comes up with two other songs, and they think it justifies officially laying down these tracks. But and this is where we get to your thing about the costumes. The thing about these songs is they're clearly about Satan. And Tobias is a clean-cut dude that works at a call center. And he's smart enough to know that image matters. And he's like, I cannot put out these songs about Satan and put my face with it because nobody's going to take that seriously. Wow. So he decides to create a MySpace page with minimal information, a spooky logo, and then put these songs up. And this is the most unbelievable part of the story. But Supposedly, and I'm like, how do you get this to happen with a podcast? Because I'd like to make this happen with our podcast. But supposedly, he puts this up, and within 24 hours, he's getting calls from record labels going absolutely bonkers. Huh. Now, I could spend the next hour trying to explain this band to you and the story they're telling and the methods they're using, but really, like I've already said, just go to YouTube and look for concert footage. That's going to save you a lot of time. It's quite striking and visual. What I will try to capture quickly is the amount of lore and story that's built up to be part and parcel with this experience of this band. Now, remind me, how much did Kiss do that? How much was there a backstory to the characters of Kiss?
1: <laughs> we want to see all you girls tonight, and if we see you, meet us in the ladies' room. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is Space Ace. This is the Demon. This right, is Starchild, right. and and the Cat. Like there was, there was no real. Story behind or or lore behind that, but I thought that if I felt more story and lore behind like bands like Iron Maiden. you sure, had like sure. saga like songs. Yeah, or, you know, or, or songs that were the Raymond Ancient Mariner. <laughs> like
0: that. Yeah, it's like a freaking. That's song. a great point. So yeah. there is a piece in the show notes called Your Ultimate Guide to the Band Ghost. This is written by a super fan slash blogger who goes by the name Miss Mephistopheles. And if you really want to study this group academically, which is sort of what I wanted to do, this is a great resource and a place to start because she just sort of breaks it all down. But here's her quick simplification of some of the story mechanism that drives this band quote for the first three albums, Tobias took on different incarnations and characters, right? Remember how I said there's a different guy on each record. That's like the lead guy. He plays so crazy. He plays all of them, but he's in totally different costumes and makeup and looks totally different. Um, and they're devil Pope characters. So they're just wrap your head around that. Papa okay. Papa Emeritus. So so far there's been Papa Emeritus 1, Papa Emeritus 2 II, and 3. And then with the last album, they've introduced Papa Nihil, aka Papa Zero, who is basically the devil pope manager, also the father of all the papas and not played by Tobias. <gasps> I, I don't. I hardly know what any of that means, but I figured it's worth saying. I feel like there's going to be at least one person listens to this and is like, "Damn it, you're getting all the ghost lore wrong." Feel free to send us a, an email. We are the Story Guys at gmail.com. Maybe you can do a bonus yeah. episode with us. I understand the passion that you have around this band. Like one of the things I find so fascinating and so cool about this band is like people get into this shit. So feel free to correct us if we are misrepresenting in any way, shape, or form. But I think I'm. I think I got it because I spent a lot of time sort of digging through stuff.
1: Yeah, I. I. I hope so because, like, felt like at the end you jumped to like Gene and Paul sending kiss out like to Vegas with two other fake Gene and
0: Pauls. <laughs> I was like, wait, Tobias isn't is, it, is yeah, it the Pope? So here's the crazy thing too: if you get a VIP experience at a Ghost concert, right? You you get a VIP experience. Let me just tell you, got two guys that were in Radio who. Uh, <laughs> I, quick side note: Murdoch texted me this week, and he's like, "Dude, you'll never believe what I found." I was like, what? He's like, this picture of me and you with Brad Paisley. <laughs> Should I put that on Instagram? I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think I don't I don't really think so. I don't think so, it's that interesting. So usually when you when you meet an artist or whatever, it's like very there's not a lot going on, right? But now more and more artists are having to create things to get you to spend more money to interact with them or whatever, right? Because that's the only way they're making money. So if you get a VIP experience at a ghost concert, you actually get to walk through, they create like a museum where you see the oh, dead bodies yeah. of Papa's one, two, and three. Oh, oh my good Lord. This is amazing. It's amazing. Dude. I'm I'm, it's so, amazing. I'm
1: officially
0: pretty intrigued. I sort of, of want to go that. see them play. Like if they come around, you and I should probably go just cause I'm like fascinated by it. Now, Notice I mentioned that this lead character is played by Tobias. That makes him the lead singer. Interesting backstory. He never wanted to be the lead singer. He considers himself a guitarist. And that was like his passion. And when he first made those demos, his, he just put on his voice as a scratch vocal and he called all these guys and in, in other Swedish bands that were badasses. And he's like, dude, come on, sing in this band. It'll be like a thing. You don't even have to like leave your other band. We'll just like all be anonymous. And they all turn him down, which I bet all of them are real pissed about right now.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Okay that uh that he was so that he was so like not thinking his vocals were good,
0: yeah. So you get the premise: theatrical proggy rock. It hits the it hit it hits internet Pater. Visionary dude accidentally creates a macabre empire built on shock and awe. Uh, but how does any of this tie into a cheeseburger? <laughs> you, you forgot we spent oh, the yeah, first that's... three minutes of this talking about cheeseburger. You know. I almost forgot that we
1: talked about cheeseburgers. Uh, well, See, now, now I'm hungry because of the boomerang I Dude, I effect. know. Me,
0: me too. I'm thinking about these cheeseburgers that, we're, that I'm about to tell you about, and I'm like, ooh, sounds great. Okay, so let's, let's come back from Sweden. Let's get on the plane. Let's fly back to America. Let's go to a place that I know you've been spending some time recently, buddy. Chicago, Illinois.
1: Yeah, I've been to Chicago, sure. So we're going to talk about hamburger and not deep dish pizza or We're, we're going to talk about cheeseburgers
0: talk- in in. We're going to talk about Chicago. cheeseburgers. So okay. you,
1: you- cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Is it the, the <laughs> SNL skit with Belushi and Akron? Okay, no.
0: Have you ever heard of Kuma's Corner? Yeah, I have. I've ne- I don't have never been there. I don't, but I know the name. All right. That, so that's the place. It, easiest way to explain this place. And honestly, I, I might hitch a ride next time we go to Chicago solely so we can eat at this place together. Though there is one in Indianapolis. I just learned that's the only thing outside of the Chicago area. They put one in Indy, which is much closer. So maybe we'll go there. Um, easiest way to explain this: Harshing your mellow since 2005. This is copy from their website. Our ethos is simple: support your community, eat beef, bang your head. It's a corner bar in 2005. Now it's five restaurants. Like I said, four around the Chicago area, one in Indy. But they have built their whole brand around this support your community concept. And so to them, it means two things. Support local beer. So they brag about not selling Budweiser or Miller. And support local music. But not just any local music. They're really only into heavy AF music. (laughs) This is from elsewhere on their website. Do yourself a favor and see what our city has to offer musically by supporting Russian Circles, The Atlas Moth, Ledge, The Swan King, Jarred Loose, Jungle Rot, La Amarda, Harm's Way, Bloodiest, Melting Sun, Sarin, and many others who make up the rich, heavy musical landscape that makes this city amazing. They have another section on the website with a Spotify playlist with the metal music they're most excited about currently. And this was all started in 2005 by a dude named Mike Kane, who was trying to make it in fine dining. Uh, and then noticed that when he like did the data on his restaurant, all his money was coming in from cheeseburgers. So he was like, I guess I'm just going to make cheeseburgers. That seems like a much better business model. And he made the restaurant a bit of a gimmick. So there's no sports. That's a, like a rule, no sports on TV, no baseball caps because he hates the Cubs. And, Oh man, how weird. I know. Thing. I know. And loud metal. But if you have metal and burgers, Why not combine them? So, this restaurant creates burgers named after the staff's favorite bands. I said there were no free ads, but man, I am making Kuma's Corner sound like the shit tonight. Okay, this is from a Thrillist article about the restaurant. The menu lists 18 thick, messy, half-pound burgers with names like The Slayer, which is a 10-ounce patty on a bed of fries, chili, cherry pepper, caramelized onions, and dewy sausage, shredded jack cheese, and green onion and anger <laughs> anger the the metallica which is bacon and blue cheese dressing with buffalo sauce that that would probably be what i'd order even though i hate metallica and yeah the mastodon which is a bacon barbecue sauce sharp cheddar frizzled onions burger and huh? here's the other thing so like 15 years ago they were like one of the first places to be like we're putting everything on a pretzel bun everything they take some credit for like starting that craze, so everything's on a pretzel bun. Still on a pretzel bun. Okay. Well, obviously you can tell this restaurant has a bit of a sense of humor and a lot of edge. So in 2013, they get this idea to make a burger that pays homage to the Swedish band that they've been jamming in the restaurant, a band that at the time is actually called Ghost BC. And we're right, not even getting into that. It? They they <laughs> they had to drop it. But it yeah. so and to do that, this is. This is the burger they make, the ghost. A 10-ounce patty topped with a red wine reduction and a communion wafer. Oh my gosh. So I, this is where my skills as a church interpreter come in real handy. Uh, those are the key ingredients to something called the Eucharist or communion, if you prefer. And this is rounded. I should, I should just go ahead and tell you the rest of the burger ingredients. Also on the burger braised goat shoulder, aged white cheddar and ghost chili aioli, which is a nice nod. Now, I, how did you not get us to goat sh- shoulder first? Okay, sorry, <laughs> it seems like the star of the dish is the goat shoulder. Okay, but do you understand why it this just, is? That sounds fun to say. Do you understand why this is offensive? Yo, yes. Okay. Okay. Now, yes. I, I'm not. I'm not talking oh, yeah. down to you. Like I, I don't think I would understand this if I didn't have a good understanding of the the Catholic Church. Now, this is particularly offensive to Catholics because Catholics pay a special esteem or, or hold in esteem the ceremony of communion a little differently than even other, uh, you know, sects of Christianity. In the Catholic Church, there is this concept that is not present in the way that I grew up called transubstantiation. Substantiation. I'm sorry, transubstantiation. That's a big word. Do you know what that means? Nah, nah. No. Okay, so hang on here. It is the idea that during Mass... The bread and the wine that was probably bought like at Walmart that's used for communion, when it hits your mouth in the actual ceremony, literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ.
1: That's what that is. That's okay. what that is. All right.
0: Now, does every Catholic really believe that that actually is happening? A 2019 Pew Research survey says only about a third of them do. But regardless of how closely held that belief is, it's still a central tenet to the Catholic faith. So this idea of mocking that in a burger where you're going to put red wine reduction and communion wafers on a piece of goat shoulder is particularly upsetting to a lot of people.
1: Uh, it would, yeah, that's what I was thinking. The goat shoulder must be pretty interesting with the whole sort of sort of bit. Can I tell you so from a non church growing up person who joined a church? Yeah, I actually I was I joined a church for, I mean, probably, the I don't know, not not like a whole year, but a better part of a year. Yeah, And they had on Sundays, they had communion. And I remember the very first time it happened, because it was the very first time that had ever happened to me ever. And the tray came around. Did they I tell you like, no? Okay, this, no, no, I was just, it, they were like, here's the, uh, you know, I, I'm, i just, you know, came around to me and I was like, well, this is a little tiny piece of bread. Uh, and then I got the, you know, the thing that comes around. I was like, so this is juicy juice. I was like, <laughs> oh man, like the, I, my suspension of disbelief is, I'm, all right, man, this seems like a, this seems like an exercise in futility <sighs> because, Ain't no way that this this grape Kool-Aid or whatever that like this is this feels silly.
0: No, God like, does the hard does work. He does the hard work. work once it's in your mouth. No, and listen, I don't I don't want to I, I don't want to get into that. Right. Like, I'm not here to mock any of that. I just want to mention that. That's an amazing idea for a burger. Like, well, that that's a crazy thing. <laughs> I will say points for creativity. That. Points for creativity. That's what I will say. Yeah. You know that phrase, no press is bad press. If you believe that that's true, this is basically the best free press move this restaurant could have ever accidentally stumbled on. At the time, they were one location. Did you hear me say earlier they're five now? They had nine tables inside that restaurant. This story gets picked up by the uh-huh. Chicago Tribune. Um, which you can go read, and it's hilarious because they basically just like go on Facebook and read and like just copy and paste pissed off Facebook comments. And then Spin Magazine picks it up. Forbes picks it up. And here's my favorite thing. Time Magazine will name this cheeseburger one of the most influential burgers of all time. For crying out loud, I feel like the legitimacy of Time Magazine might not be what it used to be. No, no for that. It's like where
1: where did that features piece yeah, guy to jump on that trampoline to talk about that getting hammered in Chicago, drinking beer and, and eating that freaking
0: cheeseburger. I get, like so, they no, used ta- to do the most influential people. They now do a version of this magazine where they examine the most influential cheeseburgers. This is a great country we live in. Yay capitalism.
1: It, yeah, maybe next year man of the year will be a cheeseburger (laughs) or grimace. You know, if it can be anybody, I want it to be grimace.
0: I'm just saying he doesn't get
1: enough. He
0: doesn't get enough love. Grimace does it. Grimace, like, is Grimace? Never mind. I'm not, we're not going down that line of questioning. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I have so I many questions know. about Grimace. I don't know is the answer to several of them. <laughs> okay. So, uh, oh, <laughs> Lord, someone get us back on track. This restaurant offers a sort of apology, right? And they make a donation to Catholic charities. And... Catholic Charities makes a big deal out of openly rejecting their donation. <laughs> but and they keep selling the burger. But from what I can tell, given partly because the band is still incognito at this point, I don't think the band ever reacts or gives comment to this. I'm sure they know what happens because it makes a lot of press in the United States. And Tobias yeah. Forge has to be laughing, right? Like I mean this is like exactly sort of the theatrics that they're going for. This burger was only meant to be a special during the month of October in 2013. But back in February of this year, Kuma's brought it back for a month. And when they bring it back again, I might need a road trip to shut down. That's all I'm saying.
1: Maybe we, I mean, I think I'd just like to do that next time. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd like to go there.
0: So that's been covered. But remember at the top of the show, I mentioned that Troy has been pushing me hard on this idea of authenticity when discussing these stories. And he says, he says, ghost isn't metal and they may not be Satanists. <laughs> he has a lot of opinions on ghosts but they have a great show and a great sense of how to titillate and irritate. Right. But what happens when the proposition flips, it's like I said, it's not a band pretending to be bad, but it's a band pretending to be good. So for that, let's turn to a different question. Talk about a different band. This question comes from Kelly. Can you shed some light on the real story behind that Christian metal band where the singer tried to have his wife killed? Okay.
1: First, I don't know that I know who this is. What? If, if, it, isn't, if it isn't Striper, I don't know.
0: <laughs> You've never mowed for your sure. lawn
1: to the sweet sounds of As I Lay Dying? Oh, As I lay, I didn't know the story about the wanting to kill his
0: wife. Oh my God, dude, I'm about to blow your mind. It's going to be really hard for me not to fall completely down a Christian rock rabbit hole when trying to untangle this story. I'm going to do my best. My scout's on yeah. her not to derail gotta, us or waste too much time we got to get us into these
1: good guys acting bad. That's what we need to Okay. Well, that's, that's what's what about to
0: happen. I, I think yeah. maybe the most important detail of this whole story is that the seeds of this band, As I Lay Dying, dying, they start in another band, a band from Dallas called Society's Finest. Now, no one remembers that band, but they remember all of the bands that spun out of that band, including As I Lay Dying, a band called Demon Hunter, and then one of the guys is briefly like fills in in a band called Zayo that's a big deal in that scene. They all have connections to Society's Finest. And this act puts out like one or two records in the early 2000s, but they're on solid state records. Now solid state records is an imprint of a record label that I know, you know, that's very important to me called tooth and nail records. Oh yeah, sure. Now it was like the record label that defined my teenage years, but also was kind of a Christian label. They had this weird caveat where they would be like, sometimes we just put out bands who have Christian members, which is like a weird gray area. Uh, And that will come back up when we talk about As I Lay Dying. But that aside, there's this guy, and his name's Tim Labesis, and he leaves Society's Finest, and he moves to California, and he starts a new band called As I Lay Dying. This is the early 2000s. And I love the wiki for this band, because it says that they were named after the William Faulkner book, but, quote, the band's music and lyrics are not inspired by the novel. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of great novels from the 1930s. Tender is the Night, Brave New World, Grapes of Wrath. Their eyes were watching God. Like that might be less metal, but more Christian. I think they could have pulled that off. But, is there a song? Is there a song called As I Lay Dying? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like As I Lay Dying performs As I Lay Dying. I, I don't think that. I don't think so. But yeah. I, anyway, I, I bring up society's finest and Solid State first because I think it's Tim's association with them that really pegs As I Lay Dying out of the gate as being Christian. Because they'll spend their whole career being cagey about it a little bit, even though Tim like has Christian tattoos on his arms and stuff. Here's a quote from Tim that dates back at least 10 years ago. I believe that change should start with me first, and as a result, our lyrics do not come across very preachy. Many of our songs are about life, struggles, mistakes, relationships, and other issues that don't fit entirely in a spiritual category. However, all of these topics are written about through my perspective as a Christian. Now, if you're just like head spinning, confused by that, I should just say that this sort of quasi doublespeak was always really common with bands who would have connections to Christian music and then start to get popular in non-Christian circles. Like this could have been copied and pasted from a dozen different interviews from different bands. Yeah, and it sounds to me it's like perfectly reasonable um, thing that either someone knows how to
1: say or they've been told how to say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I it's
0: sort it's sort of like you being like, well, I don't live in Tennessee, but my When I write songs, because I lived in Tennessee, there's a little bit of Tennessee that seeps into the songs. Like, okay. Um, So I shot a documentary my senior year of college. I think we've talked about this, about a small town band who had just gotten signed to a Christian record label. And we did a premiere on campus. And I will never forget this Q&A session after this premiere where this guy stands up and he asks me how a band could play rock music and to be Christian. And this I I just tell that story to illustrate that for a certain set of people, the whole concept has always been confounding, right? Because it seems antithetical, especially with a band like as I lay dying, which I'm not going to play them right now, but let me just do an impression. (laughs) Right? Like, so you like, it's not like you hear the lyrics really. Right. Yeah. So, these sorts of statements become par for the course. But despite this unclear aspect of their agenda, As I e. Dying does pretty well. They do a few things for this small Texas metal label that they known from that first band, and then they get a deal with Metal Blade, which is like pretty legit. Oh, and dude, Metal Blade is my youth of amazing. I can't believe that really is
1: a thing. They got signed that late. Can I ask? Can I ask a question? From yeah, yeah, uh-huh. you know, always was a non-Christian uh, growing up. So why did it become a thing with it? Like, is it just because the, ta- like, because for some, in some of my, in, in my head, some, somewhere it's like, well, why does that matter? And, but then why did it, why did it matter? And why did it become an an issue. This is a great question. Part of the identity of the band. So
0: your, your question is why would it matter whether or not the bands were Christians? And why would you make this distinction about saying the guys in the band are Christian, but this is not a Christian band. Right. And, and this band and like, and in
1: particular, what's, what's up with this band that made this into an issue to where it's like, Oh, this is a band with a Christian member that writes songs. It's like, Okay. Why did it become an, a thing like to me, it's like well is, how is it an issue? Well like, how it, did it become a thing? It's gonna become a thing
0: because of something he does, which we'll talk <laughs> about. but it was already yeah. it was already a part of their identity because they would I mean the short answer to your question about Christian rock, there's the cynical and the not so cynical right So I'll go not so cynical first. the not so cynical part of it is that if you are really really bought in to this, you see your music as a ministry tool. So I play a song so that Mark Murdoch will hear that song and change the way he thinks about the world and find Jesus Christ. Right. So that's, it's literally a tool that you're using. But the cynical view is that then capitalism gets inserted into it. It's making money. And it's making money. And it's, and some people would say it's easier to make money. Who knows really? Right. But, There are, if you have this audience where they're more like, like, for instance, if I I could buy something at a Christian bookstore when I was 11 with no questions asked, if I said, hey, I got this at Expressions of the Heart, that was, yes, for real, a place where I went to buy stuff, Um, I bought MXPX at Expressions of the Heart. And honestly, that's why I got away with it. If I bought MXPX at Tower Records, there would have been, like, the Spanish Inquisition happening at my house. So... That There was a little bit of that, too, where it was like, if we come up through this area, this angle, then people started to think, like, maybe this is a faster route. And I, I only say that because this, spoiler alert, does become a, a, something that is said about and by As I Lay Dying later. But let's not jump too far ahead. Sure. Okay. okay. Thanks. So, I needed some translation over here, sir. No, and this is what I'm talking about. This is like the guy who stood up in that thing, right? He's like, I don't understand Christian rock. I just don't get it. And that... Totally makes sense to me if I step all the way out of ever having any exposure to it and being like, I don't get it, dude. Why don't you just go to church and then leave church and do what you do? Like, why does it all have to be connected, right? Um, why do you got up here and play that music to make them
1: girls dance?
0: Well, I mean, and I always would say too, like, right, like you don't really hear about Buddhist bands. Like the Beastie Boys are Buddhist, but they're not like, yo, let me tell you about Buddha. I like my Buddha <laughs> with coffee and cream. So uh, yeah, they did invite the the monks to the like on
1: tour and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, so they did sort of do it. You're right. Anyway, uh, they get a deal with Metal Blade. They put out this record in 2003, sort of middling response. In 2005, they come back with their third album. It's called Shadows Are Security, and things start to happen. And by 2007, I'm not kidding. Listen to this. They have a Grammy nomination for Best Metal Performance. They're literally in the category with Slayer, Murdoch. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They, They got a Grammy nod.
0: That's interesting. So things are going pretty good with this band and you would think they're probably not that bad at home either, right? Tim got married early in the history of the band. He marries this woman named Megan in 2004 and they end up adopting three kids in a short span of a couple of years, like 2009, 2011 or something like that, all from Ethiopia. And so Tim's on the road all the time. His wife is being an awesome mom and this dynamic starts to make things weird because she's resentful that he's gone so much and he feels like a stranger in his house and, like the marriage starts to fall apart and they start to pursue a divorce. And while this is happening, Tim picks up a new hobby and his new hobby is weightlifting. (laughs) Now, wow. At some point during all this, he is getting absolutely shredded and he decides that that is not enough. And he wants to push up a level. And that's when he starts taking steroids. Now I was listening to another podcast called plain English, which I highly recommend uh, recently, and they were talking about steroids in baseball and the effect that it had on guys like Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, and like, it would show in their heads and their necks and stuff. Big, big heads, yeah. They, then people would have the big head things in the crowd and yeah.
1: literally hit the big heads.
0: And, and it's well known that those things can really start to mess with you, right? And this will become a key point for the lawyer that will end up taking Tim Lambesis's case that we're about to talk about. Because during this time, While going through divorce proceedings and a custody battle, this is 2013, Tim is at the gym one day, and he meets a guy. Now, I don't know how much you go to the gym. Probably not as much as Tim. You don't have to admit, because I know it's not as much as Tim Lambisus was going to the gym. (laughs) And and I, I don't know how seriously you get to know the guys you meet at the gym. But... I'm curious, even for someone who is gym obsessed and spends too much time there, which is what his wife will claim in court documents. I'm curious how you go from, hey, bro, will you spot me to, hey, bro, do you know anyone who can off my wife? Yeah, it, it, that seems and, like and, I mean, let's just be honest. That seems like several levels of intimacy. Like you've you've really skipped to a high level of intimate relationship to ask that question.
1: It's like an episode of Ozark, like weird. And like how like how do you get how do you get down and dirty like in in the middle of the swamp where things are so uncomfortable with somebody Can you imagine can you
0: imagine someone asking you that? Like someone that you just sorta know. Metal injection followed this case closely when it happened, and I have linked their archive in the show notes. So let me just tell you, there's so much on the internet about this band. And if you want to just dive in and get lost I don't know that I recommend it, but you can do it. And in this archive, they've got all these articles from following the actual case. So I'm going to read a snippet from one of those, okay? Okay. It started when a fellow gym member, Brett, who described himself as a trainer, and then parentheses, and was described by attorneys as a steroid drug dealer, although he denies this, was approached by Lambesis at Pure Fitness Gym in Carlsbad, California. Brett developed a friendship with Lambesis. And a month after meeting him, so it's been a month, so that's the answer to our question. It takes a month. Lambesis would start to complain about marital problems and specifically said he would, quote, be doing better if his wife was taken care of. Now, Brett claims that Tim. You mean taken care of? Taken (laughs) taken care. I'm like, you want me to come over and fuck your wife? Like, I don't understand. Okay, so Brett claims that Tim eventually contacted him about setting up Lambesis with a hitman. And he said Lambesis arranged a meeting with him at the parking lot of the gym. And Lambesis arrived with his live-in girlfriend, Amanda, so he's already got this other girlfriend, who goes inside. And here's a quote from Brett that seems like it's out of a TV show. And I'm I'm like, this is actually what this uh, metal injection article says that. Uh, Quote, Lambesis began by asking me if I knew why I was there. I said I was hoping it wasn't to kill anybody and he said that was funny because that's exactly why I was there. What? Okay. Whoa. Brett not a hitman, but Lambesis asked him to ask his friends saying I bet you know people. Also, what's that say? <laughs> Someone's like, "Listen, Murdoch, I know you don't kill people, but I bet you know someone." I bet I bet you know a guy. Well, like people come to me you all the time like and they'll the be like, the guy. they'll be like, listen, man, I know you probably don't, you probably don't do this weird pop cultural marketing weirdness thing, but like, I bet you know somebody who does. That's fine. That's accurate. But if someone came to me and was like, listen, Hey, I need someone to whack
1: my wife. You know, somebody <laughs> kill somebody. You <laughs> seem like, you I, know, somebody,
0: I, I, I need someone to remove the legs of my dog and shove them. It's like wait, what, why do you think I would know anything about this? Um, After this meeting, Brett gets worried that Lambesis will go through with this, with or without him, so he calls an attorney which I love this he calls an attorney who tells him bro, if his wife gets killed, they can get you for accessory and so Brett now is like, oh crap, now I'm in this thing so he gets contacted by Lambesis I cannot make this up, dude The two meet at an Oceanside, California, Barnes & Noble. Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. Lambesis once again brought his girlfriend Amanda, but she was told, quote, the men are going to talk about music and motorcycles. So she went back to the car. Oh, he's a boy. misogynist too. Awesome. Okay, clearly. Whoa. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm stating the real obvious. Uh, yeah. He's a metal singer and a misogynist. Where'd you possibly get that? Those two details from? We yeah. went in the back and had a conversation and started talking about the situation at hand and about him. Brett claimed that he offered alternatives on handling the situation. Quote: Go to a counselor, talk to somebody, get help. But Lambesis would not be dissuaded, according to Brett. Lambesis complained about Megan. Quote, his wife was keeping him out on tour because of the money to generate money, and he had three bands, and he wanted to stay home and produce instead of traveling. End quote. Tim complained he wasn't allowed to take the children on tour with him. Brett claims that once he understood that Lambesis wouldn't change his mind about killing his wife, Brett said he did know somebody and made up a name. And the name the Bre- <laughs> Can we try this? If... if- you were forced right now to make up a name of a hitman that you knew. What name would you use? Larry Travis. <laughs> I would accidentally say Bruno. Like, it would just come out of my mouth, and I wouldn't be able to take that back. Um, he, it, Brett does not do either of those things. <laughs> Larry Travis. He says, he says, Red. I do know a guy. Red. <laughs> it seems like I'm whole- making this story up.
1: Yeah, I had a horse
0: named Red. Did we ever go there? <laughs> <laughs> Red? Yeah, we did, but they I didn't did know that. his name was Red.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry, I can't remember.
0: So Lambesis gave Brett permission to give Red his phone number. So this is where a San Diego County Sheriff's deputy was, who was described as, quote, a stocky man with a long reddish beard and the scruffy appearance that you wouldn't expect of an undercover officer. Like, come on, all undercover officers have to not look like undercover officers. That's the whole point. He played the part and met with Lambesis. At the same Barnes and Noble. (sighs) Here's my favorite part. Lambesis and Red I mean, like, again, I can't believe I'm not making this up. Lambesis and Red met in the music section at Barnes and Noble. Do you think they met in the A's? Do you think he was looking at an As I Lay Dying CD as he was talking to Red? I kind of think he was because he definitely sounds off as a rocker at this point. So they meet here. And Lambesis tells Red, quote, wanted his wife gone and gave Red three dates when he would be with his kids so it wouldn't seem like he was a suspect. And the whole time, Red tried to get Tim to use the word kill or dead. But Lambesis never did. Mm -hmm. Instead, he just kept saying, I want her gone. Right? So this is like, he knows sort of what he's doing. You think. And then he starts to walk away in the damn Barnes & Noble. And as he was leaving, we got about fifteen or twenty feet away from each other, and he turned back to me and said, "Just to clarify, I do want her dead." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you blew it! You were there. You were at the finish line, bro. <laughs> okay, I, so I want to be clear that I don't want to come off like we are, like we are being callous about this, or like ugly. Like, I'm laughing at how ridiculous this behavior is. All right? Like, this is ridiculous behavior of someone who is very sick. And whether that's the steroids or other mental health, like, this is a sick person. So I I don't want to make too much light of that. But, like, the way the transcript from the courtroom reads, it's, like, too good to not mention. At this point, Red follows Lambisa to his car, hands him a manila envelope with all the info he required. Lambisa's hands Red the stuff that he said. Like, I need this stuff before I can do this. And then Lampesis was, quote, promptly arrested (laughs) in the Barnes & Noble parking lot. Like, that's a key part of the story. (laughs) I mean, I thought thought bookstores were dead. That Barnes & Noble was getting some action. Wasn't just the paperback business getting killed that day.
1: Oh man. Well, see, you went for a joke.
0: I know. I, I was, just said that, I was trying to be sensitive. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Because what he said was really part of the the actual <laughs> thing. And the way you the way you said your delivery was fantastic. I saw you like I could almost imagine you turning around <laughs> in like a trench coat
0: saying that. By the way. <laughs> By the way. Well, at at one point, too, I did read something that, like, they try, the defense tries to launch this thing about, like, entrapment. So, like, I mean, that's coming from Red's testimony that he said that. And so I don't know if at some point they try to fight that in court as to whether or not that actually happened. But it does, of course, go to court. They try the insanity slash steroid defense. Doesn't work. He plea bargains. Uh, the, The max for that is, like, nine years and a fine. He gets six years, but he's out on parole in two. Now, we should probably stop there, but damn it if this story doesn't keep going. While he's in prison, he does say, like, and this is a, like Billboard Magazine ran this. It's in the show notes. He There's this whole thing about as I lay dying, front man confesses from prison that they were never a Christian band, which is like a crazy thing for Billboard to run. But he basically says like, yeah, dude, we were all atheists and we just did that to make money. Uh, When he gets out of prison, he tries. There's like this crazy story also in the show notes where like he gets out of prison. He's starting a bonfire and pours gas on himself by accident and burns 25% of the surface of his body. Oh, no. This was like during the pandemic. This was like in 2020. Oh, he also gets the band back together. There's all this controversy around he's gonna put an album out under the name As I Lay Dying with Hired Guns and then like they do some sort of web exclusive and show up on screen and like all the the main dudes are with them and everyone's like oh my god the band's getting back together and then that backfires on them so there's all this stuff you can go read about how people freak out about the fact that this band is gonna go on tour their shows are getting cancelled and boycotted it's like just this crazy thing and then the latest thing seems to be that the whole that whole lineup that came back with him has all left now in the last like few months. Like that's all happened in 2022.
1: Oh, so we got out, put the band together as a hired guns and that band is left.
0: No, and every- no, he got the other, he got the guys back,
1: the, the originals,
0: like the main core. And I don't know if some of them came yeah. in and out at different points. Right. But like the main core folks, the people associated with that band, all of them came back, but they've all left now. Yeah. I mean we we could spend a lot of time talking about this dude. I haven't even mentioned that supposedly he was voted most like Jesus in his Christian high school yearbook. Well, and you know, also right. he went to Liberty University, so like yeah. 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 But we should probably set all that aside and come back to where we started, which is about authenticity, right? Who has more of it? This is the question. Who has more of it? The satanic band that sounds like a Kings of Leon cover band? Or the guy with the Christian (laughs) Fish tattoo who is hitting up gym rats for Hitman sellies? Like, who is more authentic? That's what I want to know. What do you think, Murdoch? What did you...
1: (laughs) I because of all the amazing wordplay i can't decide i can't remember what the hell you just asked me i know it's between the two but you made it so funny sounding
0: uh, so listen uh
1: which one's you, more
0: authentic is yeah, it the yeah. swedish band that sounds like keeps <laughs> <laughs> If, if you if you want to get the- involved in this conversation, you are welcome to. We are the story guys at gmail.com. Again, correct our ghost history. Talk to us about as I lay dying. Um, maybe add some color about, um, you know, what you were voted in your Christian high school yearbook. Uh, also, if, you know, if you want to send us a, a note on Twitter, on Instagram, on Instagram, it's uh, rock and roll bedtime stories on Twitter, hit up Murdoch. It's Hey, it's Murdoch. Um, and you, you, any other thoughts, things you want to get out about this? I feel like I need to give you one more moment to express. Like we've just laid out a lot here.
1: I don't know the answer to who is the most authentic. That's what, something I like, it's difficult to, it's, you have to be, take everything so objective because art is, it's difficult to like, if I could pick between which, who is like authentic or not, um, you know?
0: I mean, if you we we could get really esoteric and dark. Are 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 any of us really authentic? Do you? Am I authentically myself in front of you, Murdoch? Are you authentically yourself in front of me? Who knows? You say yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel very comfortable being just myself. Yeah, I don't think that I'm doing wearing a mask like when I'm with my friends, like Tobias
0: Forge. What would that mask look like if you were wearing it? Would it be that much cake makeup?
1: No, but let me tell you something, brother. (laughs) This is real truth. (laughs) I I have big circles underneath my eyes. Big enough that when I was a little kid, they called me, they would call me raccoon face and stuff. Like, it's no shit. (laughs) Dude, that
0: is not nice.
1: (laughs) No, I was like a kid. But anyway, so I bought some crap to put underneath my eyes because they're just real puffy now. Like, I just have trouble sleeping. And so I took a picture of him today because it's like these gold things that you put on. And I, and I was like, I look like Flash or like <laughs> one of Flash's cousins or something. Or out of like the Flash movie. I was like imagining... I, like put, I took a picture of myself, and I was like, I would love to be in a Flash movie. Well, like the 1980s <laughs> Max von Sydow Flash. <laughs> the gold stuff on my face. Uh, um, and make sure everybody keep
0: telling stories. Gave, yeah, Laurie. holy lord. There's a lot of stories to tell.
1: rock and roll bedtime stories is a story guys production the show is produced and edited by brian Eichenberger. get more stories hear more podcasts and book the guys for your conference or house party at we are the copyright boy have we got stories productions all rights reserved